Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander in Paris, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden uh, from beautiful Cape Town, South Africa, in uh, from the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University. Kobus, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. And you? Excellent. Well, we're also joined by uh, Washington today is on the line and our newest member of the China Africa Project team, Anne Sherman, who you may know her name from those brackets on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash China Africa Project, and uh, is helping us lead that page and will be joining us uh, quite regularly on the on the podcast and really giving us a view from Washington and uh, a little bit of a different perspective on this issue. And how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk only about one issue today, and that is going to be some reflections and reactions on a BBC World Service program that was uh, held on Friday, uh, this past Friday, actually, in Lusaka, where the BBC invited 100 dignitaries uh, from non-governmental organizations, politicians, the business sector, both Chinese and Africa, and they framed this discussion in the context of China is is it is it a partner or plunderer in Africa? And we're going to kind of give some some feedback for it. We're also going to have the link to the show itself on our Facebook page, so that way, if you haven't heard the show, you can go and listen to it, and then you can follow up with our with our commentary right here. Kobus, let's get started with you and kind of give me your top level reaction to what you thought. Uh, how the issues were addressed on the show, and this is really because this is really one of the highest profile broadcast initiatives that we've seen on this subject. So it did actually grab some attention. Yes. Um, you know, I was I was glad for the, the fact that the debate happened. Um, I was a little disappointed by the level of the, of the debate. You know, kind of it, um, it struck me that a lot of, of, of tired stereotypes ended up being repeated and not really questioned. Um, and I was a little, you know, a little disappointed that we didn't get deeper into some of the issues. Now, is that because, you know, you and I are really the equivalent of China-Africa geeks? It's something we follow very closely. But for, you know, a mainstream audience, that level of detail is something that may, you know, be just be too much and too confusing. I think so. I think so. I think it also um, shows that the you know that the level of the debate within Africa about Chinese engagement is maybe not as far as we'd like it to be. You know, for me, the, to your point of how I, I felt the presenters really did not challenge the guests. That was my biggest complaint. The guests would say something, sometimes a ridiculous thing, and there wasn't the appropriate follow-up to really push the guest. And it's, you know, if, you, if you've heard other shows on the BBC, like the Doha debates, uh, which are, or Hard Talk, which are just amazing. And one of the, the joys of listening to this is how the presenters really just push the guests to really defend their positions. And I felt that, like what you said, a lot of these kind of stereotypes and caricatures were put out there and just kind of accepted. And, uh, and that was the, uh, to me, that was one of the biggest flaws. And what was your reaction from Washington listening to this? You know, from a Washington perspective, I thought it was really interesting um, because, you know, in the U.S., there's um, sort of this um, worry, I guess, that the U.S. is ceding its leadership in Africa to the Chinese and that the Chinese, um, they invest mostly in infrastructure projects that are really visible and that the Africans really appreciate and that they remember. And maybe that they, the Africans now take for granted U.S. assistance in, in Africa. Um, and so at a recent hearing I was at, at Congress, they were talking about how can we win back the hearts and minds of the African people. And, um, you know, it was pretty clear from the Twitter debate and the debate itself that 
you know, the African hearts and minds are not completely won over by China. So, you know, it's one of, I mean, you know, I'm going to sound as the cynic here and uh, in that I don't think Washington should take too much, you know, comfort in what we heard last night on the debate. There was a lot of hostility and negativity towards the Chinese. That was for sure. Uh, But yet you see, you know, one public opinion survey after another across the continent which rates, you know, popularity of the Chinese, and they consistently outperform the Americans. So, um, uh, you know, this is what's difficult about the show last night is separating, okay, how much of this is reality and how much of this is perception? And, and that was the hard part of it. So let's kind of get into some of the, the kind of the core issues of the show. Uh, some of the themes that were addressed was, the, you know, it didn't take long, but the quality of Chinese products was one of the topics that was addressed. We heard a lot about you know, this question of the Chinese not adhering to labor standards. So we also heard quite a bit about corruption and who are the Chinese actually helping? Are they helping the, the people in government? Are they helping the actual people? Cobus, uh, let's start with you. Pick any one of those topics and start diving in and tell us what your thoughts were on both the commentary and as well as on the, uh, on the question of how the presenters framed the, the, the questions. Um, I think in terms of um, maybe maybe I should start with with uh, you know kind of whether China is helping only elites or whether it's helping normal Africans. Um, what struck me there, and, and that's something we discussed on Twitter as well, is is that this there seem to be certain kind of assumptions kind of built into the debate, and one of the assumptions was that Africa is essentially no matter. You know, in, in which relationship it is, it's essentially the passive partner. Essentially, things get done to Africa. And, you know, within that, this is the se- the second kind of assumption that in the, in terms of normal Africans, things get done to normal Africans, not only by, by external actors like China and the U.S., but also by their own government. Um, so there seem to be some kind of, like, internal assumption that African governments just can't deal with a lot of problems. Um, and that was interesting and kind of disturbing to me. You know, kind of the um, the, the the role of African governments in making sure that the, the, the deals they make are good for their own countries and making sure that the products they import are of high quality seem to either be ignored or there seem to be an assumption that African governments are just not going to be, you know, crossing that hurdle. Now, that was interesting because during the discussion, you started to express on Twitter last night that you were frustrated when Africans were actually saying this. This were not narratives coming from either the West or from the Chinese that, you know, portraying in some way Africans as victims in this whole process, things being done to them. And so, you know, and what I found interesting about your tweets last, you know, on, on the show or during the show was the idea that, you know, Africans still many times think of themselves as victims of other powers rather than, uh, you know, take control and take initiative. And interestingly, and this was one of the big differences between what we saw on Twitter and what we saw and what we heard on the show, there was really this idea of empowerment and self-empowerment that the only way that Africans are going to be able to, to, to profit from the relationship with China is if African governments and African people set the terms of the debate and the trade relationship. But yet we didn't hear that on the show. Yeah, what struck me is that, you know, kind of we might be dealing with one of the fundamental problems we're dealing with is the essential broken relationship between normal Africans and their government. Um, You know, obviously there's been some increases in democracy in Africa in different countries over the last while. But I think that the idea, um, you know, kind of that this government is they're our representative you know kind of that's not necessarily such a natural idea in africa as it is in in other democracies um you know so 
you know, the idea that these people, they're far away and they're enriching themselves and we're, you know, we're kind of getting screwed. I think that's a very, very entrenched idea. And neither, you know, no external power, you know, kind of be it Europe or, or China or the U.S. is necessarily going to change that. I mean, they, they simply get slotted into that logic. Okay. Well, and let me... Let me float another one of my frustrations through of the themes that we heard last night, which was the level of scrutiny that the Chinese are being held to. And that, and I, I don't say this coming from a point of view of, of defending or protecting the Chinese in any way. Rather, I'm actually saying that I don't believe that other powers have been held to the same standard. So when I'm hearing, for example, all these issues on health and labor and security and colonialism and, you know, all of those kind of catchwords that were used to describe and are used to describe the Chinese in Africa, I never hear people talk about white people that way. I never hear them talk about the Dutch, the Canadians, the Americans. Kobus, you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you look at the levels of foreign direct investment in Africa, the Chinese are small bit players except in a couple key countries where oil is there. For the rest of it, it's the old big colonial powers, and yet we don't hear this same level of scrutiny, you know. And so, you know, give me what you think on that and what you heard from Washington. And again, kind of, do you see any comparison between, say, the Chinese, the Americans, and how other countries are, 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 are treated and what you heard in the discussion on, on Friday? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question, and I wish that had been brought up. Um, there was just an article that we read you know, why isn't India or European countries, um, why aren't they seen, seen the same way as China and criticized as much? And I think, um, you know, obviously the U.S. Uh, feels threatened by China's economic rise and, you know, is worried that it'll undermine U.S. dominance. But I think um, it's more than that. I think it's actually an ideological problem. So, you know, China's using this state capitalist system and they might argue that they're getting you know, better results that they're able to produce these economic miracles and, you know, uh, create better development results in Africa. And that kind of challenges um, the Western, you know, system of the Western narrative. Market. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, it also uh, threatens the U.S.'s political and diplomatic goals in Africa to support good governance and human rights and all these things. And so, you know, I think that's why, you know, maybe India and Europe are seen in a less threatening light than the Chinese. Kobus, what's your thoughts? Why do you feel that they're, or, or actually, let me, let me give you an open question. Do you feel the Chinese are being held to a different standard? Uh, and if so, why? Yes, I, I, I do feel they are. Um, I think it's, the one way of, of expressing it is, it you know, kind of, it might be a situation that that Africans are just simply more used to Europeans and Indians. Um, you know, kind of that that the the you know arrival that the the large numbers of Chinese immigrating to Africa is is obviously there's been Chinese in Africa for a long time, but lots and lots of Chinese you know, have, have immigrated to Africa recently, and that this is simply, you know, kind of a visible change, um, you know, kind of manifesting on African streets in a way that, for example, Brazilian or South Korean or other kind of uh, foreign direct investment is not necessarily manifesting, you know, kind of the South Koreans aren't also, you know, kind of showing up as lots of little shopkeepers. Um, so I think that might be, is, and I think that that then kind of relates to an issue that I think Africans don't want to talk about, which is African racism, um, you know, kind of 
an, an a certain kind of climate of xenophobia that can take hold in in, in Africa, and and I think is is a is a very real kind of part of African society that Africans frequently don't want to to acknowledge. You know, because the implicit undercurrent of this idea that the Chinese are somehow foreign, and we, we're going to kind of transition now into this cultural question because you know that always comes up into it. Is the implicit is that when it comes to dealing with foreigners, the Chinese are more foreign, or for example, South Koreans are more foreign than you know the relationship that many Africans have with Western powers. And yet, you know, and this was an issue raised in the conversation, you know, on Friday, which was, you know, they are not like us and this que- these cultural questions. I actually, and I've written about this extensively, think that the Chinese and Africans have far more in common uh, as people on the cultural level than Westerners and Africans do. And I get so frustrated when I hear this because the West, the differences among Westerners and Africans, you know, so many of the Westerners who live in Africa live completely isolated from most Africans, South Africa being an exception in many respects. But we know that segregation in South Africa is a real problem as well. Um, so, you know, for me, that was just, I was just banging my head on the, uh, on the computer listening to this and kind of, you know, hearing this. Because, again, I come from this mindset that the Chinese and Africans uh, both, you know, are, are emanating from tribal cultures. And tribal cultures meaning that they're decentralized, not contractual based. And, and in that sense, uh, they are, uh, you know, much, have much more in common on, on many fronts than, than we do in Westerners. And your thoughts? Well, you know, I also um, noticed this, and I thought it was interesting because we just posted an article on our Facebook page about the cultural similarities between the Chinese and the Africans. And one of the things they stressed in the article was, you know, these mutual values of uh, loyalty to superiors and selflessness. And um, so to hear people saying, you know, oh, we have I mean, Africans have not as good worth ethic or you know, we have different cultural values and all these things. I was just kind of struck by that um, because, we'd like, just like you, I think that they actually share a lot of cultural values. And, and Kobus, to your point about the xenophobia, and we'll get to, I, I know you want to respond to that, but on the xenophobia part, you know, part of me was just, you know, getting frustrated as well because this idea of we need, you heard this a couple times, that Zambia needs to develop this on its own. Well, it can't develop these industries on its own without foreign capital. You can't develop it without globalizing to some extent or another. So, you know, that nationalism that also kind of creeps into this and mixed with a little bit of xenophobia, mixed with the cultural arguments. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, Zambia has had copper for a long time, you know, <laughs> so it had a while to, you know, kind of to if, if you know, if, if it was going to, you know, develop that kind of those kind of industries on its own without foreign direct investment, it would have by now, you know, Um so, you know, that's obviously, I mean, that's a, that's a willful, you know, kind of ignoring of a whole lot of problems of why they didn't. But, I mean, the fact is, because of those problems, they didn't develop those industries, you know. And they need some kind of foreign money to do it. Um, and, yeah, I know, you know, kind of it's, it's, it's like why, why, are, why are kind of American and European money, you know, not, not as objectionable as Chinese money. I just don't understand it. Yeah, it's a mystery to me. So let's just start wrapping this up again and just kind of give me, you know, Anne, a, a few final thoughts on, on your overall impressions of the show. Do you recommend people listen to it? Do you think it was representative of your experience in Africa and, on, and in this subject? What are your, your kind of closing thoughts on, on, on what we heard on the BBC? Um, you know, I mean, I, I was like you guys, very glad that the debate happened and that the issue was 
promoted and um, you know I don't think it was representative of what I've heard and I I think that you know there needs to be a more critical take on a lot of the comments next time and um, but you know I think that going back to what Copas was just saying I think a lot of it has to do with Western media and I think it'll be interesting to see um, now with China China Daily and CCTV and all these things entering Africa if these stories start to change and if um, you know new perceptions and new new narratives start coming of this debate. Okay, Kobus, yeah. what are your closing thoughts? Well, actually, I wanted to you know kind of while I'm while I'm speaking, I actually wanted to ask Anne. Um, you know, kind of you you mentioned before um, the um, you know kind of that the American government is is kind of concerned about the growing Chinese. Um, uh, you know, Chinese influence in Africa, and obviously we saw the congressional hearings about that, and also um, Hillary Clinton talking about that. Can you give us an idea of what the Americans? This is such a such a kind of very like basic basic question, but what do the Americans actually want in Africa? I mean, because you know the reason I'm asking is the Chinese obviously are extracting a lot, but they also they also. Um, you know, exporting a lot to Africa and, you know, kind of the Chinese actually, Chinese in Africa have a relatively balanced trade, you know, kind of trade relationship, you know, um, while the Americans are actually not exporting a lot to Africa, but then importing a, particularly a lot of oil from Africa. So oil. What, what is the, what is the Americans, what, what do they actually like to achieve? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, you know, most people would say that America, you know, kind of abandoned Africa, and um, I think, you know, one of the people who testified in that hearing was, um, you know, saying we need to somehow encourage American businesses to go to Africa. That basically, American businesses see so many risks and challenges, and they basically, you know, aren't really interested in doing business there right now. And so, one of the challenges is how do we, you know support, encourage, um, make it easier for Americans to kind of re-engage in Africa and find a find a new purpose or profit or, you know, reason to be there. So yeah, And yeah. don't don't forget, Cobus, and then the, the, you know, the, I mean, I look at two main agendas that the Americans have in Africa. Number one is oil, obviously, Nigeria being the main the main port of oil there. The other part of it, of course, is security. You know, uh, you, you know, military bases. They've started AFRICOM a couple years ago. Uh, the Pentagon is expanding its drone operations in Eastern Africa. Uh, we've seen, you know, U.S. military operations off the coast of Somalia, uh, and this kind of trying to contain the spread of Al Qaeda in the Maghreb, Al Qaeda uh, in Eastern Africa. And so I think they look at it in, in very much military terms. Twenty-five percent of all U.S. AID. Uh, funding in Africa goes to military operations and military budgets. So it's yes. it's very yes. heavily weighted towards, and that's in some ways where, whereas the rest of the world, and this is not only in Africa, this is also in Asia as well, whereas Americans are talking about everything in the context of security, other countries like China and India and the BRICS are talking about trade and talking about other forms of development, and a lot of countries just aren't interested. And to your point about trying to encourage uh, U.S. companies to to sell more in Africa, you know, you walk through the streets of most African cities and you don't see that many Fords and Chevys, you don't see that many American products on, and, you know, the Americans have written off that market, and I'm not even sure they're capable of producing products at that low entry point that they've just said, you know what, the margins are too thin in Africa, forget it, we're going to focus on other more developed markets. 
Yes. Let me give you an example. Né? Um, the kind of, you know, one of the one of the areas where Africa is particularly advanced, I think, or, or that where there's a lot of fresh thinking, is in terms of using um, cell phone networks uh, to do a whole bunch of things, including banking and you know small small time loans, and you know kind of to you know Africa is, is weirdly making a big leap into into using cell phone and internet networks into you know kind of to, to overcome the kind of ge geographical um, you know barriers that face a lot of trade in Africa. And the Chinese have actually slotted in quite well with that. You know, obviously they, they built the networks to do that. And then the Chinese, um, you know, so, so companies like, like Huawei, obviously, you know, they, they built the networks on which these things run. But at the same time, they also um, are showing up on, you know, on media networks in, in, in Africa, you know, particularly on TV and, you know, an, a, a certain amount of internet news provision and so on networks. Um, if I compare that to um, to American media, um, you know what, what you find frequently is that sites like Amazon or Hulu or a lot of kind of media platforms, they just don't um, they're not interested in expanding mm -hmm. to Africa. So you know, kind of if you're trying to download stuff from there legally, um, they they just simply say sorry, your territory isn't covered. Yeah, well, that's and um, that's know, and also that, in that doesn't too. imply any kind of like logistical you know kind of expansion they have to do. They don't have to to build a single network. It's simply discounting a whole continent you know from from their their content. And it, of course, it's not just Africa that's, that suffers the ignorance of the Americans in terms of their worldview. You know, there was a, a, a you know a Gallup poll done about uh, just last week, and it was broadcast on NPR uh, Marketplace. And uh, they asked Americans what um, what international issues they're focusing on, and basically the only thing that they're focusing on is Iran and the price of oil, and everything else is is kind of mm -hmm. written off in that sense. So the European debt crisis, you know, what's happening in Africa, you can name any number of big international stories, and for the most part, doesn't really break through the American. Uh, kind of media bubbles and whatnot. So, um, Koba's final thoughts on the BBC show? I'm as as Anne said. I'm really glad it happened. You know, kind of. I, it's it's a it's a first it's a first step. Um, and um, I definitely um, I th I thought it was it was very valuable because it was so revealing. You know, and what it revealed is that actually I think the the relationship is 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 not as far developed as I think people you know kind of maybe expected it to be um and you know the chinese and africans seem to be kind of talking past each other a little bit i, I found it interesting that the chinese felt uh, seemed to feel a little slighted you know kind of by the fact that they that people were mostly complaining and not really kind of giving them props for the amounts of of, of work point. that they're doing there and i think i think that you know kind of opening up those issues was was a was a great first step well it really does highlight the pr challenges that we've been talking about for months now that the Chinese at some point need to engage in and to start building a message that is a little bit more more than just happenstance. So, uh, you know, I'm, I too, I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad that we heard uh, African and Chinese voices. You know, you and I on the show, we're, we're always trying to find guests from both Africa and, and China, and it's not easy, actually. Uh, and so it's not just, you know, a bunch of white people sitting around a podcast talking about Africa. And that was actually quite refreshing, unlike our podcast right here today. Um, <laughs> you know, but it is nice to hear their voices in all of this and the complexity of it. I didn't like the fact that they continue to put this in binary terms. Is it good or is it bad? And, and that, to me, is just endless.
endlessly annoying. So I do hope that the discussion evolves away from that and we get to kind of explore the complexities of it. And I do hope at some point we can get away from, you know, singling out the Chinese and putting the Chinese in the context and the same standard that we should hold all foreign investors in Africa. So that's my little soapbox. Uh, Kobus, if people want to follow you on, uh, on Twitter, where can they find you? I am at Stadenesk, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E, and I also try and show up on our Facebook page, uh, you know, kind of several times a week. Excellent. And Anne, if uh, people want to follow what you're doing on Twitter, where's the best way they can find you? You can find me at AnneSher07, so that's A-N-N-E-S-H-E-R-0-7. Excellent. Oh, keep going. And also on the Facebook page. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, you can see both of them. And all three of us, of course, are on the Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting about four to five times a day, the top headlines uh, coming from China and Africa. And, of course, also contributing to our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash China Africa Project, where you will find not only uh, some headlines that we put up, but also some comments and some discussions. The page is starting to grow and become more lively. One of the interesting things about the page which I think is uh, the most fun, is the fact that we're getting a lot of young people from, uh, from both Africa and China to participate. So this is a really neat way that we can replicate what was done on the BBC, but directly. So we invite you to join us and to participate and to engage. Once again, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We'll have a copy of this audio show as well there and all of the archives. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the China and Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. We'll be back, all of us, again next Sunday for another edition of the show. Thanks so much for listening.